0: Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. My guest today is Sonam Parikh, one of the co-founders of Mina's World, a coffee shop based in West Philadelphia. Sonam and their partner Kate opened Mina's World 18 days before COVID-19 forced the majority of businesses to close or to completely revamp how they serve coffee to customers. I originally reached out to Sonam because I noticed two things about the Mina's World's Instagram page. One, many of their staff members stayed consistent. I'd see the same people in photos over and over again. And two, those baristas were often named in post. That seems like a small detail, but it felt like an acknowledgement that the folks who work within the space are the ones who make it special. After I hit stop record on this episode, I told Sonam that I thought we'd be friends if we met in real life. And it's because this interview really took on a life of its own and organically unfolded into this beautiful conversation. We talked about honest representations in the media, saying, I don't know, and really meaning it, and bringing in a mediator to understand the needs of your staff. Don't miss a minute of this episode, because every word Sonam speaks is important and necessary to hear. Here's Sonam. So I'm going to start where I start all of my interviews by having you introduce yourself.
1: Okay. well, hi. My name is Sonam. Um, I am one half of the founders of Mina's World, which is a cafe located in Philadelphia, PA.
0: Can you tell me about some of your first memories of coffee? Did you grow up with coffee in your life?
1: No, I grew up with chai and chai was foundational. Um, Every morning you would wake up to the smell of the chai breaking, kind of like the 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 tea and the milk on the stove kind of rising up and um you could smell it in the air all of the spices and that's how that's that's what i grew up on but on very very special occasions my mom would sometimes make coffee and the coffee was very indian style and she would cook it in a pot like a saute pan or Uh, sorry, like a boiler pan. Mm -hmm. And it was just the most decadent, delicious thing I've ever tried in my life. And the first time I ever had it, I think I had a sip of hers. I was obsessed with it. And ever since, like the taste of coffee has just been this extreme delight for me. You grew up in Brooklyn, right? Yep. Born and
0: raised. Can you tell me a little bit about your parents? Because I was reading that they owned a bodega in Brooklyn, and I have to imagine that influenced what Mina's world maybe doesn't look like, but maybe some of the values of uh, your parents' business really shaped what your coffee shop looks like now.
1: Yeah, definitely. My dad used to tell my mom and me, like, you can never turn away the first or last customer of the day. And it's somehow carried over into the shop. And it's so cute because our shift lead van the other day, it was like 4.05 or something when we close at four every day. And there is like a straggler. And um, I saw the two baristas kind of look at each other and be like, do we take this customer? Do we not? And I was in the back and it's completely up to their discretion if they take the customer or not, because the floor is theirs right now, you know? And then van was just like, it's the last customer. We can't just say no. And it was just so cute to see like this thing that was passed down from my dad, like in Mina's world. It was very sweet.
0: What was it like growing up around the bodega?
1: It was really interesting. Um, Brooklyn in the 90s is really different from Brooklyn today. Um, My family and I got gentrified out earlier on um, and The Brooklyn of that time is like a very golden period that I miss and love so much. But um, I have a lot of memories of sitting on gigantic bags of like cat food and watching my parents just be in this shop. And it was a very stereotypical bodega with cigarettes in the back end and a lot of canned food collecting dust that nobody bought and diapers, and um, just, like, a strange assortment of things that everybody in a neighborhood would need, like, strewn together, and it was, like, extremely tidy, but just always looked messy because it was so small, you know, and um, it was called SNK Food Center, because I don't actually know why it was called that. <laughs> um, we did, I don't think that my parents really served food there, but it was on 3rd avenue in brooklyn and um i remember like very very vaguely like some of their customers coming in and taking me for walks like things oh, wow. were really different in the 90s you just gave your kid away i guess but like yeah it was a very like it was the corner store that everybody kind of went to and that's how they like came to america and Tried to eke out a living.
0: Did you have regulars then? I assume you must have, since people would just you know take you on walks. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think that they must have had them. A lot of the details that I have from that time are like passed down through storytelling, and I was really, really young. But like even to this day, like my mom will get a phone call and be like, Sonam, like this person from the store who used to take you on walks just said hi, so. Yeah, I'm guessing there were quite a few regulars.
0: I I I don't think I've ever talked about bodegas on the podcast at all. I used to live in Brooklyn. Um oh. back in like twenty two thousand nine to two thousand fifteen. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes I assume that people know what a bodega is because mm-hmm. I think when you live in New York you sometimes assume it's the center of the universe. But um hearing you describe it reminded me that like perhaps not everybody knows what a bodega is and not to say that we need to like go into too many details but it really is like a store where you can get almost everything you need but mm-hmm. in a very 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 small tight contained place
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and especially in neighborhoods where like there might be food deserts or it might be really hard to get to a grocery store especially in New York if it's not walkable it's pretty much not accessible um the bodega really becomes like a center of life in a way
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I feel that that was how my parents explained it to me in a lot of ways. Um and I think that's how a cafe can be too where you sort of feel the rhythm of like the people around you, through your regulars, through the changes in humidity that cause you to adjust the grind even. Right. Like through the people who come and buy their pack of cigarettes in the newspaper in the morning through like the kook who needs to like get like seven bags of cat food every Thursday. It, it just, I don't know. There's something really stabilizing and sweet about it.
0: <laughs> I like that you mentioned that analogy to adjusting the grind in coffee based on the weather, because it feels like the bodega and the coffee shop are, are reflections of the neighborhood in a very concrete way In that people come in and out, but that they're also reflections of your neighborhood in this very abstract way of the weather, of what like the vibe is outside, like what's happening out on the street or like around the corner comes and floods this space of community and gathering. It's a reflection in this very tangible, but also intangible way.
1: That is such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think like. Ah, oh, that is such a great point.
0: I mean, you made it and I just talked about it.
1: <laughs> it's funny because like all of the baristas at Mina's will like look out the window and be like, "Ah, oh, yes, it's going to rain later. It's going to be slow." Like we ourselves have become forecasters of the neighborhood through what we know about like the weather and the news and like whatever it is that's going on in the world and relating it to like what we know which is the coffee in the shop and what we offer. And in its own way it's like this like little magic that I love.
0: Yeah. What prompted you to want to open a coffee shop?
1: You know, people ask me this all the time. And I do love coffee. I'm I love coffee. <laughs> but I think it's because I love serving people. Mm-hmm. I love the hospitality aspect of it. Um and what made me want to open a coffee shop is because I grew up at my parents' shop like and subsequently grew like as soon as I turned 15 or so, I became a barista and I've been that ever since. Um and my dad always used to tell me, "Please don't open a shop. Please just go to school. Please just become an accountant, a pilot, anything. Just don't, don't have, don't like make yourself have to open a store. Like it's not worth it. Don't do it." Lo and behold, it's exactly what I ended up doing, and I don't know why. And maybe it has to do with the fact that my dad has passed, and it's my way of connecting with him. Or maybe it has to do with the fact that it's what feels most natural and correct for me. Um, I'm not really sure. I still can't tell you what possessed me to do this. But it feels very correct for me.
0: I love that it's ineffable in a way because, you know, I mean, I ask questions. This is a podcast. The idea is (laughs) that I ask questions and you give answers. But, like, not every question has an answer
1: yeah there is so much power in I don't know
0: did you do you did you always feel comfortable saying that when people asked you that question
1: absolutely not I think this could be one of the first times I've ever explained it like that I've also honestly taken a lot of time off from doing any interviews and this is the first one I've done in um, at least six or eight months yeah, I I that's also something I just noticed about myself, that I have been really reluctant to do interviews, and I have also been really uncomfortable to say, like, I don't know. But just the other day, like, I was able to vocalize, like, I don't know is an answer.
0: Yeah, I don't know is an answer, and it's a really valid answer because it gives space for people to, I don't know, keep thinking. Absolutely. I think that that's something I've had to learn doing this podcast too, that it's okay for me to not, I mean, I started this podcast thinking I was like a fucking expert at everything and mm-hmm. I'm not as, as I quickly learned. Um, mm-hmm. and being able, and part of that, that process is being able to say like, I don't know the answer and being, being gracious enough to say, I need to ask a question. Like I I don't need to assume yes. what, what the answer is here. Hmm. So Absolutely. let's, let's talk about, your reluctance to do interviews because we talked I'm gonna say the thing that I hate saying on the podcast uh, but we talked a little bit about that before we started recording (laughs) um but I was reading you know so I do when I do these interviews there's always like a very different level of like how much a thing has been covered and Mina's World has been covered a lot in a lot of really big publications like you've been in Healthy-ish by Bon Appetit you've been in Eater and There's a lot of really amazing quotes and things that I gleaned from these interviews. I'm actually kind of surprised that you were able to get those things in um, because I think it's really easy to kind of just like make these these articles as bland as possible. But I wonder for you, like you mentioned, kind of feeling like this double edged sword with these interviews. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the attention that Mino's world has gotten and how it makes you feel.
1: Yeah, I would love to. The first thing I really want to say is that attention has never, ever equated to financial success for us. And that would be the hope through doing these interviews. That is what we are promised. When we are asked to do these things, we are told this will help your business. And so that is the hope for us that for me and specifically, the hope is that my business grows so that I can pay my baristas more. That is always going to be my first goal. When I do a bunch of these overexposing interviews and my bottom line, which is making more money does not get met, it makes me pause and question, what is the point of these interviews then? And then it makes me circle back around to this idea that these interviews aren't for my benefit. It is for the benefit of whoever is presenting the interview. And like, it's something that Mina's world is always involved in the discussion of, which is like tokenization or are we being tokenized or are we being highlighted or are we being glamorized or like, do people actually think our coffee is good or do they just want to stick our faces on stuff? And that's become a question that all of us as a a team talk about a lot and that I think about constantly. And part of that is why I've really backed off on doing interviews because I've just become really wary of being a talking head about something um, and receiving no productivity from it for the things that really matter to me. And what really, really, really matters to me is being able to give my staff enough money that they can just chill Mm -hmm. (laughs) and enjoy life and go make art and go on a vacation and not have to worry about a second job or like getting a very frivolous tattoo. Like they should all be able to do that whenever they want to. Like my bottom line is getting that money in their pockets. And when people are like, so obsessed with the things that make us different as a team and wanting to highlight that it makes us all feel tokenized and alienated you know
0: right that's a really good point because it's as, as you were saying before we started recording it's like when are you interviewing us are you interviewing us for like like pride month or are you interviewing us mm-hmm. because you're doing like even in one of these articles the designation is is queer table yep and then even in the, like the first sentence you say not just the gay best and it's like what's happening here yeah. in this article it feels like contradictory um but then but then you are promised those things of like this will be great for your co- like your cafe it'll get you exposure and how often does that actually translate to anything? Like, when did did this article come out and suddenly you had, like, 30 people lined out the door? No.
1: No. No, that's never happened.
0: Yeah, so, like, why does that matter? And it seems like it takes away from, like, the things that do actually work, which I imagine for Mina's world is a lot of community presence and investing in, like, the people around you.
1: Yeah, it's a lot about maintaining our community fridge keeping the shop clean <laughs> like trying to make sure we stay on top of all of our scheduled raises and um orders and trying to make sure we keep cups and sleeves in the shop because of the supply chain which has been enormously funny and sad um <laughs> through the last 3 years like a running joke in the shop is just about the supply chain in general um And yeah, those things are just more pressing to me now because I understand that people want. I think that like a lot of people with media power want to showcase what they know about diversity, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily want to invest in it and see it get furthered. Like, you know. All of these publications. If you really want to see us go farther, if you want to keep seeing us on your pages, maybe something you can do is also like after you do your interview, make a huge order at Mina's World, like a shipping order, and and get like coffee beans for your team for the rest of the month. Like there needs to be some sort of return because um, I I really cannot eat views and neither can any of my teammates
0: right right yeah it seems like there's no there's no return for you in a way that is tangible to your business actually surviving even though that's the promise of these articles that exposure will get you more people through the door and then at the same time I think that there's this strive in these articles to present you guys as perfect like look they're queer or they're uh like uh BIPOC owned and like they're doing it they're crushing it like there's this very like almost like rainbow washing positivity that's spun Mm -hmm. on this and something that I'm really getting from you in this interview is that like the shit is not perfect it is hard And you don't always have the answers. And very rarely do I see that tension dictated in any of these articles because there seems to be this overwhelming need to present issues of diversity or people that are are being highlighted because they're quote unquote diverse as like a very positive, like great, Mm -hmm. like happy-go-lucky like spin, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And. You know, it's funny because my candor is the same in those articles and this interview. Um, I'm very much the same person across the board. And so like what comes across in an interview is always what the interviewer gleans from me or whatever their objective for the article or what bylines they need like it's really all about them, (laughs) you know, and that's fine. I understand that. Like I've signed up to do it. So I'm, I'm part of this equation and stuff, but I just, I think like the thing that I've learned over the last two years with Mina's world is really getting a, a harsh understanding of why people contact us. And it's never really because they like really believe in us. It's because there are certain times of year where you have to find certain kinds of people to fill your pages so that you can check off some boxes. And all I'm saying is that if you need to check off those boxes, attach a price tag because it's shitty. And the irony of being like, "Wow, look at this one place that's still standing," is that like you have these institutions have no idea how hard it is to stay standing when there's no Financial support from the places that like laud them as like such great places. Yeah. And the other irony is that they're not such great places. How can a two year old business run by an idiot like me ever be <laughs> an ideal cafe? I'm still learning. Right. I've never gone to cafe school. <laughs> I've right. never been given the power to manage somebody else's cafe. I've never even been a shift leader at somebody else's cafe. I was always told I was too passionate or to this or to that or to whatever. I've never even been given the keys to anybody else's shop, you know? So it's just like the f- idea that I'm so qualified to be this diversity angel or something is hilarious to me because – I've never, like, at this point, to be honest, I've only run an operating open cafe for 18 days. I've never even, like, had an open cafe. Right. So, I just, it's incredibly strange.
0: I, I wonder, like... I think there's there's something that happens when people talk about something totally new and different that they haven't heard before, people do something totally new and different where there's an expectation and almost like a mythologizing that you're going to do this exactly right. Yes. But that that does a disservice to you, the person behind it, when mm-hmm. you're like I'm still learning and there's so many lessons for me to take in and I want to be told when I'm making a mistake. Like I want to be told In an honest way that, like, hey, maybe the thing that I'm doing is not X, Y, and Z. Like, let's work on making this better because that's how this becomes a better, more accountable place is that we feel safe in expressing those concerns. But sometimes it feels like out of your control in a way. Like, because you're painted in the media in a certain light that, like, you're, you're, like, beyond reproach. But that's not true. Like, you don't want that to be true.
1: It's not true. And I get reproached all the time. And I'm so thankful for it and appreciative of it. And like, the thing about my shop is that all this press and media and like, whatever, it doesn't go beyond the window, like inside of the shop. Mm -hmm. The team and I are very real with one another. And we all have a lot of talks about a lot of things. And we all make a lot of group-based decisions like there was a very 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 large media company the lar- the largest um who did this big piece on us and um there was one of the components of the piece involved somebody coming to the shop
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this person messed up in every single way they could have and no matter how much this company did pay us and how much exposure it did get the shop as a shop nobody was happy about it and we're just not working with them again and we're not doing it again and like it was not beyond reproach we're they were like what are you no you know
0: and sorry go ahead
1: and it was a good learning experience
0: how do you cultivate a culture where people feel safe expressing these concerns perhaps you haven't had it you don't have to have it all figured out but it seems like a pretty pivotal tenet for you is that decisions aren't made by you just because you're one of the co-owners or they're not just made by Kate because she's one of the co-owners Like it seems like decisions are made as a collective
1: well I don't have it all figured out but what I do know is that I had to be called on that and sharing power is something that my team and I discussed at length with a mediator and like it's not for me or Kate wanting more power but it is for me and Kate not understanding what power there is in being the co-owner of A cafe and understanding how to use that power effectively and also where to share that power.
0: I love that you said that because I think if there's anything I I think about more than anything, what a what a (laughs) a clear sentence there, Ashley. Um, But if there's anything I think a lot about is power, and I want more people to think critically about power because it's insidious like you don't know you have it sometimes and it will absolutely influence the decisions that you make and I think people often paint bad leadership as like a bad apple but power power is a multiplier power will Mm -hmm. influence the way that you make decisions in ways that you often don't know so what Mm -hmm. was what was that like having a mediator there and having to talk about things that maybe you hadn't realized
1: um I think that in the beginning it was really scary because being told that you're making any negative feelings occur in your workplace feels really really bad and of course there was a lot of self-blame obviously and like um shame in that because there's always shame when you're told that you're doing something wrong especially when You are a person who works very, very hard and is a people pleaser and like to your own detriment, to your own detriment in this situation, you know? Um, But like when you can sit with your shame and sit with yourself and be accountable and be amenable to being accountable and when you have as gracious and incredible of a team as we do at Mina's World you will receive the space and understanding to rectify the ways in which you have not like distributed power well enough and then get to do that, which is what we're doing right now. And that can look like a lot of things. For us, it looks like working on equity and not just being everybody's gay cafe on the outside. Like I don't, I, since... I've stopped doing interviews and caring so much about the media. What I've instead turned to is actually internal repair fully because I don't care anymore what everybody on the outside needs wants to say about us. But what I care deeply about is the internal harmony of my shop and that the members of the shop feel safe and comfortable inside of there. because. I can't control what is going on outside or what people say about me, but I can control th- the literal temperature in my shop, emotional and otherwise, I can at least make people feel or create conditions that that honor safety and boundaries. And that's my job. Like that is literally all I am here to do for Mina's world.
0: One of the quotes that I was really interested in that made it into one of these articles that I was surprised by was trying to be as harmless as possible and I think that sort of spoke to some of that not and and I want to be clear that being harmless as possible doesn't mean like never making mistakes but I think it means focusing on the circle that you occupy and not necessarily extending yourself outward and being bigger and doing big gestures Mm -hmm. to the detriment of the people that are closest to you And it seems like you had a real reckoning with that. Yeah. 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 What has it been like to really turn inward and focus your attention more inward? Because I think that that's something that people forget that like it starts it starts literally by looking at the people next to you and saying like, how do I serve you better?
1: It's been the most gratifying and. full experience i think that nobody ever i don't know many people who have opened a business and then have had to completely completely reformat every single aspect of their business plan to be retrofitted to a pandemic and then survive it for years now um and i think one of the results of that is like there is no there the external is so much less like there is not people in the shop there's just our team in the shop laughing our asses off or being really quiet cuz everybody's having a bad day or listening to music or whatever it is that we do in there i was not seeing things with a clear lens when I started out and I think why people do that and why I did that was because I was so full of good intentions Mm -hmm. so full of good intentions but one's intention does not always equal what their impact ends up being and that's something I've really learned about and through this process of reckoning of being like I don't need to do these interviews, I don't need this attention because I don't know if it's positive for my shop or doing good things for my people. It was really helpful because imagine building a building, but the base of it is built on popsicle sticks. How is that useful? You can't put bricks on popsicle sticks. It's going to teeter and totter. And no matter how strong the top of it is, it It's going to break. There's nothing to stand on. And like, similarly, you have to build something that you can stand on. So, no matter how long it takes until our insides, until the team, until the shop itself, until our internal reserves feel full and sated and our needs are met, I can't engage in like messing around with like the outside world right now, I want so badly for my shop to feel fortified and to feel sufficient and strong. And like, those are all things that I take really seriously now, because I see that no matter what, a shop can only survive when when there is like strength in your team and strength comes from being able to rely on your managers and your bosses. And strength comes from when you have accountability within your team and when you all communicate with each other really, really well. And that looks like actually liking where you work. And by liking where you work, I don't mean that we all have inappropriate boundaries with each other. It means that there's basic respect there. And that everybody is accountable by being on time, and that every, the, your your employers aren't inappropriate with you, that you get paid on time, that your raises come in every three months as they're supposed to, that you're not being cheated out of the things that you're owed, and that your good hard work is acknowledged, and that when there's a problem on the team or you're feeling like you're not being treated properly, that is addressed immediately, and having like a people based. And a person-forward team is, I think, one of the most essential aspects to having a solid cafe. And people ask all the time, like, how come you don't have high turnover? Or, like, how come, like, some people will be like, wow, you really just have the same baristas, right? And it's like, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Why would I not? I really care about them. Appropriately, I don't want to know about their personal lives. I don't want to be their friends. I will drive them to the hospital and cook them meals to the point of detriment when they are sick. Whatever is appropriate in our relationship, as we've discussed one-on-one during our meetings and whatever is within our set of boundaries. But without that, you can't have a shop that can be cute and be in magazines and like be out there with like little mugs and what have subscription boxes and stuff. All of that stuff is really cute and fun and creates money, which is another necessity. But if you don't have a strong team, all of that is going to fold so fast. And then your money is going to fall through the hole too. We don't have any money, so we don't have anything to fall through. But I assume <laughs> that's what's going to happen.
0: It's funny that you, you mentioned how important, how pivotal this is. And clearly, this is something you're incredibly passionate about uh, i kind of like hate using that word but it's something that you feel really strongly about but like that doesn't come up in a single article that i read about you yeah it, it feels like people are sort of missing the point
1: yeah i don't you know i think i'm realizing the point isn't me it's not the point isn't what who i am or what i actually want from my business or something i think the point is what the angle of the article is or what it's topically related to. Like, is it about being queer or is it, yeah. Is it like um, Pride Month? Is it like, I don't know.
0: (laughs) I feel like we talked a lot about big issues, but we also kind of just put the media on a blast, which I'm very, I'm very into. Um, But I also think that this is a really interesting conversation for people who do read articles about coffee shops that they love or are interviewed for their local or national publications to really think like what is the point of this like how am I being portrayed and what does this mean for my business um, this isn't necessarily the the direction I expected to go in but I but I'm but I'm really into it because I don't think that this is a conversation that many people have so thank you for being so open and honest with your experiences on this topic
1: yeah, of course. Um, it's probably not going to do much for my public profile, but here we are. <laughs> but I think more than
0: anything, when I do an interview and I think about like, what's the point? Like, what do I want to get from mm-hmm. from somebody? And part of it, I try to leave completely open because I think that there's a natural cadence that sometimes happens with people that like, yeah. you and I will talk and we'll find something that is really compelling to both of us. And I think that that's pretty much textbooked what happened in this conversation
1: yeah
0: um but at the same time I also think like what what compelled me to this brand or what compelled me to these people like why did I want to talk to them and I think that I really wanted to talk to you because of turnover if I'm being oh, really? totally honest because I feel like I saw the same people in all of your in all of your Instagram posts and mm. I I was like oh there's something good happening there and that made me think of all the times we're told in coffee that turnover is natural. And like, we're seeing that play out in all of these union busting mm-hmm. arguments that baristas don't need unions because there's high turnover. And like, we don't want to invest in this not professional skill. And what? I see like, yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I read all about unions right now. Cause it's like mm-hmm. my, my obsession right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I see people talk about is like, Especially lay people who are just like commenting on like Facebook posts, which I shouldn't do. Like, I should never read those comments and I always do. And it's always like, why would like a barista want a union? Like, they're just like a student or this isn't a professional job. And I'm like, you buy coffee every day. Who do you think you're going to buy coffee from? Exactly. Um, Exactly. So it's so I so so I think it was interesting to kind of combine those two things. I don't know. I like getting really meta on these convers in these conversations. So it's fun to like reflect back on the conversation we just which had. Which I love
1: about you, by the way. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you. But no. I also love the idea that like we discovered something new as well. Like I-, I, I love that you had an answer that you hadn't maybe shared before or felt comfortable mm-hmm. sharing, um, yeah. which is a big honor. I really appreciate that you were so candid in this conversation. And I feel like we, we discovered a lot of really honest things. And I wonder, as we sign off on this conversation, is there anything that you want people to know about you that we maybe didn't cover or about Mina's world that you want to leave people with?
1: Hmm. I think that I genuinely want to say that like, it's an honor to get to be a part of Mina's world and it's not mine and it's not Kate's. It's everybody who participates in it. And it's a product of a lot of desire for goodness, but it's not inherently good or bad. It just is. And what people construe of Mina's world, I can't control. Mm-hmm. But what I can control, I'm doing my very, very, very best to put intention and goodness into. What happens, I I don't know. I don't, I never thought that I would be here. I never thought I would be doing this. I never thought I would be on this podcast that I used to listen to when I was like 25. Um, But here we are. And another thing is just frankly, please support Mina's World. We are a really small business. Really, really small. We don't have private investors. Um, we begged one of our parents, like we begged Kate's mom for a loan that we are still paying back and will for the next 20 years. So if you would like to buy some coffee beans, go to mw4u.net and load up the cart because you will seriously be supporting a very talented group of individuals and a shop that genuinely started from scratch. And I think there's a lot of respect that deserves to be put on that. Sonam, thank you so much for taking
0: the time to talk to me. I've really loved this conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Sonam Parikh, one of the co-founders of Mina's World in West Philadelphia. If you do anything, if you've gotten to this part of the episode where you're listening to the end, please go to Mina's World's website. It is MW4, the number four, U, MW4U.net. And you can buy coffee from Mother Tongue, which is Jenna Padaka's roasting company. Jenna Padaka has been a guest on this show. You can buy coffee from Makina, which is Gabe Biscana's coffee that's also a person that we've had on this show. You can buy stickers, you can buy mugs, you can buy all of these different things made by local artisans. And if you just want to support local coffee shops, like please do that. Please really listen to Sonam's words because it's incredibly important to show your support when you can through buying things from people that you care about. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks.
1: I'm just looking for a
0: better day. is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at fosbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com bossbarista Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help along with giving us a five-star review on apple itunes as a small production these things matter a lot so if you can take a little time share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode and tag us that would be amazing we're at boss barista podcast on instagram and boss underscore barista on twitter you can also send me an email at boss barista at gmail.com thank you so much for listening